Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Premier League is back. It's Monday night, so we're back to talk about the Premier League and Liverpool's first game in the books. Lots to get to. I am your host, as always, Timuchin, here in a ridiculously stormy Chicago. So if there's a lot of, like, rumblings and stuff in the background, it's not bodily functions, at least not this week. Uh, and if I go off of air suddenly, I would not be shocked or a tornado warning or something like that. It's pretty rough out there. But with us, as always, from a calm or stormy, I don't know how you're doing over there. Bickler is with us. Bickler, what's up? What's happening? It's just humid. It's so like so humid outside. The window panes are just like shut with condensation. It's it's unbelievable. It's like living in a swamp. It's so good. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and Galley is with us as well as Galley. What is up? We do nothing but bitch about weather on this podcast. I know, I right? I love it. <laughs> I swear to God, if literally people ever tuned into this thing, they're like, when do they talk about Liverpool? And why is it the three guys from America bitch so much about the weather when they cover a team that plays in Liverpool? Like, of all <laughs> places, like we bitch, like we live in a place where it rains 90% of the time. Oh, wait, we do now. Global warming. Some real this shit. is what like old dudes do, right? I mean, we talk about the yeah. weather. We cross our arms. We look out over the yard. We talk about like you know, just gazing off the back deck, talking about the weather in the yard. I don't know. We just if we got a little bit more grill talk from Brian Shelton, we'd all be good. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Brian's and then what were we talking? We were talking about something with my brother the other day. Oh yeah, it was something about gardening. I have no idea why. Like we never talk about that stuff. And I was like, dude, how old have we become? We're sharing gardening tips. Like if you do this kind of thing. But I noticed, by the way, that not only we all totally talk weather, we always bitch about the weather. Like you said, like it's never like, oh, it's a beautiful evening over here. <laughs> like yeah. it's never once has one of us come on and been like. 55 and cool tonight here in, you know, Western Massachusetts, you know, I will say I'm most disappointed because the NBA enshrinement was this weekend. And that's usually like the one night a year that I decide to go out late night and go to some of the downtown Springfield clubs and like strip clubs because you can meet the NBA players, but they shut down like the big strip oh, club in like North in, in Springfield. And it's an absolute disgrace because i don't know where gabrielle union was hanging out in springfield this saturday night but i would have liked to bump into her and probably see her in person because i have a feeling she's even better looking in person than she is on tv wow did you ever see this coming bickler that galley is a huge gabrielle union fan no I I like just, i'm trying to keep up we went through like springfield mass strip clubs we went through <laughs> like we went through a lot in the last 30 Listen. seconds I'm telling you right now, the great one of the great nights ever. I had a couple friends work down there, told me all about it, and they texted me and they were like, "You got to get down here. You got to get down here." And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "You know the upstairs, the private bar." I'm like, "Yeah, I know the private bar upstairs." He's like, "Allen Iverson is going fucking crazy, and it is like a show." I literally walked in and it was literally like watching a movie. Like it was out of the movie ball, out of the TV show Ballers. But it was real, and it was Allen Iverson, and he was every bit as entertaining as you could imagine he would be in a private room at a strip club. I can, I can imagine, like, Galley going through, like, pushing the strippers out of the way. Excuse me, excuse me, has anybody seen Gabrielle over here? <laughs> Just, like, oh, yeah. To the back. <laughs> oh, Galley over oh. there just sneaking a, sneaking a $20 bill at a time off the floor. <laughs> uh, this show can only go 
downhill from here, uh, if it hasn't already. So why don't we just really bump up the mood a bit more with trivia? That's right. Right into the gutter. Favorite segments. So this week's trivia, uh, we're kind of back to the season over here. And I still don't have my, like, assistant sending me good questions. So we're going with this one. Uh, we're playing Bournemouth. Last time we played Bournemouth was 9-0. Uh, at home, I should say. Oh, I was gonna say we lost on the, we lost in their building. So the question this week is: I don't know if you guys remember that game with the current squad players. How many of those goals would we still have scored? Any qualifying questions, Bickler? No. Okay. So what is your answer? <laughs> Eight. I don't know. No. Uh, seven. Seven out of the nine goals you're saying sure. we would have scored with the current squad players. Yali's going to actually try to go down the goals. Ridiculous. Yali's like, okay, that was the 30-second minute. I mean, Why well, hurt you? Why well, hurt yourself? I mean. I, I think it's less, actually. What would you say? You said eight? Has it se- well, yeah. Seven? Well, seven. seven afterwards. I, I'm going to say it's like. I think Alex had one. Is it like he's, he's freaking counted the goals, dude? No, I think it's like I think it's like I think it's like six, and I could be even high there. It might have been five, but I'll go with six. It is actually five. Would you see? Should have went with my five. Two by Diaz, one by Harvey, one by Trent. Uh, Bobby had two goals there. Uh, Van Dyke had one. Uh, There was an own goal, and there was a goal by Carvalho. So it was five. I'm not giving partial credit on this one. I thought you guys would have nailed this. No, not really. But I thought it was kind of like weird that because Bobby had two, and obviously the own goal was like the curveball in there. But get that trivia out of the way with no correct answers as always. So yes. I was going to talk about the game. Normally, like we jump into the game, but I kind of felt like the moment every time we talk about the game, we're gonna kind of go back to the fact that. This is all due to midfield, or this is all due to this guy and stuff. So let's get that stuff out of the way in terms of our midfield and defensive midfield woes. Because I kind of figured as we analyze the game, we're going to keep repeating ourselves and saying, like, if we had a CDM there, if Mac was here and stuff like that. So the whole ordeal with the Caicedo is done. Uh, Lavia deal, I don't think it's official yet, right? Almost done sounding like, but not official because they all, everybody wants to go to Chelsea. Uh, obviously, everybody wants the money, let's put it that way. Or as Bickler is researching people's uh, childhood photos, uh, some of them have been Chelsea fans for like a limited amount of time. Bickler, where do we go from here? Obviously, we've dug ourselves a hole. Because uh, as I mentioned this morning, doing my best Bickler impression and being like very uh, pessimistic, I just have a bad, bad feeling that we're going to try it out, for example, Thiago out there this week against Bournemouth. We're going to smash him and it's going to be like, oh, well, let's pitch back too. Maybe we'll be fine. And then we're going to find out against Newcastle that we are not fine. And it's going to be a last minute Arthur Lone type of deal that's going to come out our way. That's my horror scenario. I know you're into horror. What is your scenario? I really don't know. I mean, that tracks, right? I mean, that sounds exactly like something we do. I think the problem is, is this market is so inflated for the, like the players that you can plug and play that like, I don't think there's, there's like, 
like, look, there's the argument. There's the argument that you can make that beggars can't be choosers, right? So that you just overpay regardless because you have a need, right? But like, does anybody feel good if we go pay close to fifty million for Decorey at a Crystal Palace? Like, the drop off is so significant. I just don't. I don't know where you go. And then all your other options that we're seriously looking at are players that are coming. You know, like are at Fluminese in Brazil, and you just never know how that adjustment goes for those guys. Like. I don't know, man. I, I think this is, I think this is why the Casado Lavia thing is such a blow. And, and I got to be honest with you. Like the Lavia thing for me is like, if I, I don't believe that we were ever sold on that player, like I don't, it doesn't ever feel like to me that we really believed like no matter what we would have spent on Lavia to bring him in. I, I don't, I don't know. Like I feel pretty strongly that he wouldn't have been plugged into the starting 11 right away. And he wouldn't have like, it's not like you would have seamlessly picked him in and not had a drop off. I believe there would have been a significant drop in talent there if you would have plugged him in. So I don't, it doesn't really kill me that we, that, that transfer didn't go through. The problem is, is that like Caicedo was the perfect transfer uh, in, in terms of what we needed and what could have happened. And, and a dude that could have like anchored your midfield for the next 10 years. And that's probably why that hurts so much. Um, the other options that are out there are guys that are like 28 years old that I, I don't think are value for what you end up paying for. Um, I don't know. They're, they're interesting players. Like I think Kamara at Aston Villa is a player I'd take a look at. I don't know if you could get him, but it makes sense. His age is there. And I think he's probably decent value. Like, I, but I don't know. I, and that's the problem is I just think, I, I think that what scares me is I think three years ago, I think three or four years ago, like, our analytic, our analytics department would have come up with answers that we don't have now. I feel like that too. I, I mean, and that's you know, we said I said this all summer when this dude came. I thought he would have some names with him and saying like this kid in Bundesliga that plays for Köln or something like that. But I, my thing with Casero was I thought it was the ideal scenario. Not only that, he is you know a finished product and he's ready to go. He's proven. I kind of like the fact of the transition period having played next to McAllister before having that, you know, dual play for your midfield would go a lot more seamlessly. So I'm over bummed with that one. I'll be honest. I am not as bummed with the Lavia deal because my thing with that galley is we clearly felt that shit, this guy is not worth this much. If we're going to spend that much, we might as well go spend even more and get the top player. So it felt like if we went back to Lavia and pay the 60, which I guess is still a possibility, but I feel like it goes kind of like similar to what Bickler is saying. We're getting somebody that we were not even sold on ourselves in terms of value and price. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, listen, we talk about comparing ourselves to City, right? City knows that they have a wasted player in Phillips. They know they need cover in their midfield. They know that they were down two midfielders before Riyad Mahrez left and Gundogan was leaving, right? They had an opportunity to buy this player back for less than $30 million and didn't see a prudent option to make that purchase this summer. Like, as soon as City passed up the chance to buy Lavia this summer, it was the easiest thing for them, right? They could have just picked him. They know the kid, but they kind of know who he is and what his ceiling is. And for me, like... We always try to benchmark ourselves. Do I think Lavi is a good player that has big upside for the long term? I think he does. I don't know he's worth $50 million. I also don't know that 
Southampton was ever going to sell him for 50 million. We keep hearing this price. We keep hearing that he agreed to terms with us. If this whole Caicedo situation didn't teach us anything is that if the agent, the player or the club doesn't say it nowadays, you can't believe it because you read it on Twitter. And these, these guys are just posting things that are just absolute. They're, they're, they're farcical. And the, and forget about Romano getting taken down by other journals. I mean, there was journal on journal crime, which normally doesn't happen. Calling each other out by name yeah, because by name. the reporting was so poor. But I don't think that we can then say, like, that's only in a vacuum, right? And that wasn't happening in the Lavia deal. Chelsea supposedly offered $53 million and they rejected the deal. So everyone who got mad about us not upping the bid to $50 million, Get the deal done. We sat on our hands. We did the right thing. We played the long game, and we jumped in two feet when we thought we could take a march and steal a player of utmost talent. And the kid changed his mind overnight. That shit happens in sports. So, like, I to me, I'm not as broken up about the Lavia deal as much as I am that I don't know that there is a like-ready replacement. Because for a day and a half, I had myself convinced we were getting what I believe is the second or third best number six in England in Caicedo coming to our club. And to your point, playing alongside McAllister. And and to me, it's going to be a huge drop-off no matter who comes in. And we're also going to overpay, which is going to put even more pressure on that player. And... That's never a good recipe for a Liverpool transfer because Klopp doesn't love the bed guys in right away. And I, I just feel like this is just us. We are paying the price this summer for two consecutive summers of bad business, all because the Saudi league popped up and we weren't ready for it. I mean, Brian says dropping that bid, we showed our hand. Clubs are going to want over top money. I think knowing the needs. I mean, the moment I think Hendo and uh, Fab left, everybody in the world knew that we were going to need somebody over there. So the prices are going to get elevated automatically. Having said that, Bickler, at the same time, we know this. And kind of like what Galley says, we do not want to overpay. And we refuse to overpay. Obviously, if we wanted to overpay somebody, we would have probably done it with Lavia. We only pay what our evaluation is, right? So does this mean that we're probably not going to – this is what goes back to my horror scenario. Right. That's why I'm thinking we do not go in for anybody and say, you know what, then? That's fine. We'll see what we can do. And they're going to ask Klopp. They're like, I like my boys. And then, you know, they're just going to just gonna have to try to roll with what we got. Yeah, if I'm a selling club, I'd much rather – I mean, I'm going to think – I'm going to be of the mindset that Liverpool is going to walk away from this player nine times out of ten. Like, I mean – I, yep. before they before they overpay for for sure yeah. you know like i mean we've shown instances where we'll go out and we'll pay money for the player but it's it's a very unique situation it's allison it's van dyke it's like players that are in their it's casado it's players in their prime that are like going to be pieces that are locked in for 5 to 10 years and we know it um so i mean yeah i when you look at this market and you look at the situation we're in, it looks tailor-made for us to just like, okay, so here's my fear. When you talk about fear, my fear is that like what we saw in this match, we're going to see a lot more of. And what I mean by that is we're going to see a lot of Gakpo in the midfield. 
That's what I strongly believe. Well, he's and, the worst player on the pitch, in my opinion, and he made the second worst player, Robertson, look even worse. See, I disagree. I think he was better than Sobosly. I, I think that he was the second best midfielder out there. Uh, see, I his defensive work was terrible. He left Robo one. He he would constantly go forward. I thought Sobosly was also off, to be honest. And our best midfielder is playing in the worst position for him. And I don't know. And, I saw him I, making up a lot of plays. I saw him making really good fouls when we were in trouble, like especially when we were getting countered. Like I saw a lot of things that I. I just – I don't like – like, that's the problem is he's so important for us in the middle up front. But I just – I think what you saw with that lineup was that Klopp was going to prioritize the press, and Jota and Gakpo are going to be in the same lineup when we do that. And so, like, um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I look at what's available this summer, and I'm with you, Tim. I, like, I, my, my fear is, is that we're just going to play players out of their best natural positions to make up for it. Honestly, if you listen to Klopp in the post-match press conference, he almost like hinted that this is what we're planning for Gakpo moving yeah. forward. Uh, either because we have depth in the front line and not in the midfield, so yeah, that's forget about the number on take, the back of the shirt. Yeah, we're taking we're taking that out of there and putting him in there. But I do agree. I felt if you just watch the game and I told you, hey, one of these guys is a forward playing a midfielder. I think I would have said Soboslai. The way he played more than Gakpo. I think Gakpo adjusts to that midfield more than Savaslai does. The only issue that I see with that midfield, the way it is, is literally everybody is playing out of position. I think at least if you have a defensive midfielder who knows defensive midfield and Mac is normal, I think you can get away with Savaslai or Gakpo being that third person slightly out, almost like having Elliot over there or something like that. Somebody that's not really designed for that, but is doing the job. I just felt like both of them had the same issues, but I feel like Gakpo is a lot better with. If Gakpo goes into a tackle, kind of like what Galli, uh, Bickler was saying, he's going to win the ball or he's going to do the foul. I feel like Savaslai plays like a forward playing midfield. So when he goes in the ball, like he's more like going into for the opportunity. He's a pressing machine as well. I can see why we valued him where he's at. And I have faith that he will adjust to that role. But for the time being, I think, or does it show up a lot more, you think, Gally, because everybody over there is out of position, not only him. Well, I, I, I really believe that's what it comes down to. But I'm sorry, guys. I watched that match, saw it with people. I've read the reviews of people, and I listen to Klopp talk about him too. If he was so good, why was he the one yanked off first? He got taken off before Sobosly and McAllister. Gakpo was the one subbed off the pitch and Jones came on and then Elliot came on after. So I, I understand what you're saying. I Mo thought it was that, Mo got taken out too. And I, and I think it was a ludicrous substitution at the time. When I mean. did it. <laughs> but we're going to get to that. We're not talking about what, listen, I think the manager had a mare yesterday. I think he was awful. I think they made no tactical adjustments at halftime. And I think Pochettino took his pants down to be honest. We should have went up 2-0, whether Mo's offside or not. That whole entire match fell apart after the half. So we always talk about Klopp and the adjustments and what he does and how he motivates the players. We got beat, in my opinion. We, we, we drew that match because of the second-half performance. What was it, 60-40 second-half possession to Chelsea? They were bossing us, and they came into the match set up to play on the counterattack. It... it it didn't make sense to me, honestly. And I, 
I, I, I thought Gakpo was good at times. I thought he looked lost going backwards. We all talk about how good he is pressing, but he makes the front go. And for me, I, I kind of felt like he, he left Robertson out to dry on the two-on-one. There were two-on-ones all day long with James and Sterling running at Robertson. Whether or not that was partially McAllister not doing his job in the six, or it wasn't Gakpo tracking back in the right way on the runs, he was left out alone all match long, and we were criticizing him all the first half. I, I feel like when you watch it back, and I did watch it back a little bit today, I saw a lot of times where he looked like a guy who is caught in between two minds going forward and being a false nine slash guy who drops back and being a guy who's playing in the eight. And to me, it's hard done on, on Curtis Jones. Like the kid ended last season. Great. Had a great summer. All in all played really well in the few uh, preseason matches he played. And he's sitting behind a fourth attacker. And then when he comes on, he actually adds to the match. I, I thought Sobosai should have got taken off. He would have been the first one subbed off for me. And he was the last one out on the pitch. First one, not Gakpo? Yes, no, I, I, you just totally contradicted everything now. At the no, end. I didn't. I, I actually said I would have taken off Sobosai first. I don't think Gakpo. Better than Gakpo. No, I, I actually didn't say that Sobosai was better than Gakpo. I thought that Gakpo was rough. You guys feel like Gakpo played great. I thought he had a rough match playing out of position because he's not a number eight, in my opinion. You guys might think he's a number eight. I don't think he's a number eight. I think he I might be a 10, and we've made him a false nine. Well, maybe we're arguing about the different conversation then because initially when we said we felt Gakpo played better in midfield, he was the second best midfielder. You, you, I, you I guys, the impression you thought Soboslai was better. Well, and that's you, why you stayed the entire pitch. And at the end, you kind of like totally changed that. That's why it confused me. No, I'm, I'm saying that I felt Klopp felt he was better because he left him out on the pitch longer. I think McAllister was the best midfielder on the pitch playing out of position. Still creating more, creating more passes, doing a bigger job on the pitch. I, I actually thought, for me, that didn't look like the Gakpo we saw last year making an actual impact on us. Because I think he impacts us going forward more than any player out there right now. And we talked all summer long about how important he was playing through the I center. Think he, I think he he was a crossbar away from a beautiful assist by holding off two players in the break. I thought that, it, I that's did, a good point. I thought that's he did a lot. I, I, I think thought like out of the two, I think the problem is you're playing two of the same guys in that spot it, with Sobosly as well, and that's like the issue. Which uh, why I wanted Sobosly on the bench all summer long, saying I would start Jones in this match because I thought putting a seventy million dollar signing out there on the road at Stamford Bridge with a makeshift midfield actually put that player in a position to not succeed. And I, I genuinely don't think Klopp had his best day yesterday. That's my biggest thing. My biggest takeaway yesterday is, is Jurgen Klopp still doesn't know how to manage this roster right now. And maybe that's because he lost guys he didn't have. Maybe he didn't get the signings he needed. But we spent a whole offseason saying how we had to have a revolution and a change looked a hell of a lot like the beginning of last year when we had a disconnected midfield to Paul's ball. Yeah, but the, I, that's all I'm trying to get at. Yeah, but that's kind of like unfair to, I think, say that because you the, you answered the offseason, you know, you answered camp with a totally different plan than what we're trying to come up with right now. We're, I, I mean, it is definitely a manager. They've been to gone for a month. But they've been gone for a month. He's been saying. 
Kane, I need a plan for Chelsea, and then we'll worry about the rest of the season once guys come in. If that was the plan for Chelsea, in my opinion, it was a bad plan. Well, I mean, what I mean, here's the thing. I don't know. I know I'm the most critical on Curtis Jones here, Bickler, but I did not see when Curtis Jones came in. I did not see myself saying, "Well, this is why Curtis Jones should play." I actually found myself saying, "This is why Curtis Jones is not playing right now in this lineup in this format." Because he does not bring the press, I feel like Gakpo does, for example, and he was right. doing thing wrong things in the wrong places on the pitch. <clears throat> well, look at the players that started versus the players that came off the bench, right? I think both Jones and Darwin are liabilities when you're relying on a press, and I think yeah. that's the bottom line. So I think we set out the press. I think the other thing that really stood out to me is that if you're going to play Trent as an inverted fullback, like it doesn't solve the problem, because now you're asking Rabo to be a third center back. And that doesn't work, especially when teams are going to continue to overlive, overload that channel. Like yeah. it doesn't work. And so I think what we saw, what we saw just in a nutshell is like, that's not the answer. Like essentially we're going to have to, and that's why I said, you know, if like we go out, like we talk about what is the, what does the CDM market look like? Where do we go from here? Like, I think we go with the left footed center back. Like I like to me, I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm with happier. you. I'm happier with Ignacio than anything else on the market in CDM right now. Because I think, like, the thing that stood out to me, God, I hate to say this, this feels so wrong. Virgil van Dyke looks like a fucking statue. He reminds me of... Tim thought he was good game. yesterday. I actually thought he did well yesterday. I know. I, I didn't think so. And I thought he looks like the last days of, like, the last days of Instant Company. Like, when the legs had gone. Really? I honestly yeah. thought he did well. He looks a lot better... Than he did last year for sure to me, and you I mean, have maybe I'm not giving maybe I'm not giving him a fair run. Maybe I'm not giving him a fair run. I mean, he completely lost his man on the goal. Like I just feel like he was slow to react in general. Like it just seems like he's like I don't even think it's a step slower. Like if I'm honest, and, well, and that's that's what, thought, yeah. I mean, I felt he did well, especially with how poorly Robertson was playing. And I know what you're saying, Gally, in terms of being outnumbered there, but one-on-one, -on -one, I mean, he got beaten over and over oh. and over again on the left-hand side. Worst player on the pitch. I want to I want to make sure that that's clear. Oh, like, yeah. like Robertson was the worst player on the pitch. I wasn't trying to make excuses for him. What did you think about Van Dyke? What did you think about Van Dyke? I, I thought he was better than what we saw towards the tail end of last season, yeah. but I didn't – I was hoping there'd be a little bit more pep in his step, a little more confidence in him. He still looks really arrogant and really smug. And I know he's always going to look that way because that's just his demeanor. But I do feel that at some point you have to drop that demeanor if you are getting if, – if literally Nick Jackson is running you up and down the channels and taking you to the – taking you out of your spaces. Like, I have as big a problem as how a makeshift – front three that really doesn't work well together and Nicholas Jackson Sterling and and uh was it Mudrick was that the other starter or who was the other one out on the he wing did, but he got subbed in it was yeah uh, he came in I forget who started out on the left was it Maduke or whatever it is like they were actually moving our defense around as if they were the old Liverpool front three like like using movement and runs to shift people around and you know Gallagher running through the midfield, Enzo Fernandez literally bossing the midfield. Like we it was 
it was a pretty poor performance all in all. And I know people are like, oh, it's a good point. You get a point at Stanford Bridge. We really should have went into that game with the turmoil that club has. Brand new manager. We should have went into that game and had a real shot to take three points at Stanford Bridge. And I, I, it does feel like two points dropped. It really does. And we easily could have lost the match, which is kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I kept saying it all week. I thought it was the best time to play, and I think we saw why. I think that team is going to get better and better and better. Obviously, they added some pieces, too. I mean, Enzo, I, that's probably the best I've seen him play. Uh, that's probably the first time I've seen him justify the price tag. Uh, I agree. Is that because of our midfield and everybody's out of place? I don't know. I guess we'll find that out in the moving week. Because that was the thing I was thinking. I was like, how are this guy is so good today? Because uh, I had not been as impressed. I don't know if it's because he's going against a midfield that's kind of like lost and confused. And I think with the trends playing, I, I think the issue yesterday was obviously Robertson was poor. Uh, second half got a bit better. But the first half, I was like, oh, my God, is there anybody on that side? Because even when he was on that side, he was getting beat all the time. And I don't think we got anything positive out of Trent in an attacking sense. And that's when you're like, you know, that's that's the positive we're going to get out of you. You're not here for your defensive work. You're here for that at least. And I, I felt like we did not get that. So is it because Bickler, one thing that they kept doing, obviously, was going to the right, going to Robertson's side. Whereas we're normally used to people attacking Trent's side, thinking that's the weaker side of our defense. Is that because just to surprise us in terms of strategy or just because they have Reese over there, so they're going to go to Reese? And that diagonal ball, they know that if that ball is long and Chilwell is going to be over there, most likely Trent will not be. So it came like it came across as a lot better strategy than attacking directly with Chilwell. I mean, I think the frustrating thing is it's just what people have done to us for the last year and a half. I don't think it was groundbreaking in any respect. They just overloaded the right channel. And like, you know, just banked on the fact that Trent would be too far up or that Kanadi would get sucked over and both happened a lot. I thought Trent actually did better defensively than he did going forward. Yeah. Like, and that was, that's the problem, right? I thought he actually did fairly good coming back. Um, So I don't know, man. Uh, and that's the frustrating thing. It's it's another year, this, the exact same tactic, and we're making changes, but we're not figuring out, you know, how to close that channel down. And I think – I actually thought Robbo looked really good the last 20 minutes of the game when we went to a back four. He made a couple of interceptions and broke down the left channel and created some attacking Do you stuff. think that's why that was or because Reese was not there? That's uh, probably I could not decide on myself. Probably both. But, I mean, let's face it. Reese doesn't have a whole lot of interest in defending. So I think, uh, I mean, I, I, to me, when he's in the back four, he looks more comfortable at like, like reading the play in front of him. Like the, the good things that happened came from the fact because he was cutting out passes into the half spaces, he was reading them. And then we were breaking off of those interceptions. Um, but like, I feel like when we're in a back three, he doesn't have, like, he can't really do that. He's not in that same space to do that. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't know. I just think like, you know, it's frustrating to, to see us make tactical changes that don't really make a difference. And to be quite honest, there are huge stretches of that match. After 30 minutes into the match, there are huge stretches where we didn't break 25% possession. And let's face I it, we're not a team. Half was just we're like, not a team that can win games if we don't have the ball. Not anymore. 
And I think right. that, that was another thing. I, we just could not control possession at all. And I think they did the smart thing by loading up that midfield, where obviously was our weakness. And you have attacking guys playing midfield. Like, you have that press, but they were able to break through that press uh, at times. And once they break through, then, yeah, it's a shit show in the back. I mean, basically, you're outnumbered. I mean, I, this was like the fear all along, right? Going back to what you were saying, Galley. This should have been three points. This is the best time to play them. And I just felt like today, I mean, we were talking about in the morning show uh, with Mateusz. I felt like even if you had Henderson this weekend as a playing six, slightly out of position, and you could shift McAllister to where you should be, keep Soboslai, push Gakwa to where Jota is, put everybody where they should be, this would have been a win. And I think this process dragging... And this was my concern the last two, three weeks. I kept saying while there are people saying like, well, there's two more weeks in the window is these points that we lose now. I just have a bad feeling come April, May, when we're four short, six points short, we're going to be like, man, those points we lost in the first few weeks is going to come back and haunt us. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think that this was a year we had to get our business done early. Klopp wanted it done early. Everybody knows the stories, right? I just... To Paul's point earlier, the market is insane. These prices are just ridiculous. I mean, a 22-year-old kid with 25 appearances got made United pay $80 million for him as a striker with 25 senior goals. I mean, the Hoyland kid, like, it's crazy. I mean, but then look at last year. Anthony got $85 million from Ajax. The kid's a $40 million player. Tops. Has no yeah. business wearing a United jersey. And he wouldn't have been starting today. Let's be honest. Alanga is a better winger right now in the Premier League. Showed it in five and a half minutes for Nottingham Forest. And, and draw his team level. by And almost won it for him. Like got them back into the match with Arsenal. By basically being the best direct player on the pitch. Everything Anthony's supposed to be. Right? But he was just like a Brazilian player out of the Dutch League. So he got a ton of money. The, the transfer prices that people are paying now are just insane. And we know we don't do that business. So where I'm frustrated, I'm also like, I don't know who they were going to buy. Because if Lavi is overpriced, we tried our best fet, foot forward to get Caicedo, the best number six to move this summer. And all accounts, we were geniuses. We laid in the weeds. We waited till the last moment. We pounced like a tiger would, right, on its prey. And we thought that son of a bitch was going to roll over, give us our belly, and we were going to eat. And then he then literally, like, woke up a porcupine. And we were like, ah, fuck. We're done. It, 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 it all fell apart. I mean, like, I don't know where we could have went to Mutual. And that's my one thing. Like, I love to blame the club. And I've been very critical of FSG over the last couple of years after defending them for years. But, like... I don't know where they could have pounced early. I don't think there was a deal to be had because you couldn't get Lavia at the price we were going to pay. We tried to get Tuchimani out. We've tried for two years. The kid hates us. He hates everything about like Liverpool and the city. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it right now. The dude hates England. Yeah. Like, and 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 we also don't. You know, Brian Shelton just drops a good point there. You know. 250k a week for nine years is 117 million dollars paid to the player. You can't make that up if you're offering 120. And to Paul's point earlier from one of our earlier pods, it would have been criminal 
in my opinion, to give Bellingham 250 grand a week yeah. at his age with his experience. It's even worse to do it for Caicedo because Caicedo has proven less and is a little older. So, like, none of these deals are prudent or financially smart. And maybe they'll, Chelsea will fall apart by doing this. But, like, I don't know what we could have done. And I think now we're going to have to cobble it together by basically going out and getting a couple bargain basement buys. And, and you know, I know Kazi was throwing out today, like, Wilfred and Didi and guys like that as a stopgap for one year. And I'm not saying I want to go that that route, but I do think we have to look in the smaller market, finding guys a more of a short-term fix, even if it's overspending on Douglas Louise and giving them a two-year deal instead of a four or five-year deal. So you can get out from under it if it doesn't work. But they have to buy players who know how to play in the six. And they have to buy guys ready to play in the Premier League right now, which means... We're in trouble. See, I think we were earlier in the like the transfer market. We were talking about these players like Kone, Thuram, and stuff like that. I feel like you get one of those guys in because when the camp started, we were saying we still need one more midfielder for that, another center back. You know, those were like the luxury, good old days when we were talking about it. And then we suddenly lost Fab and Hendo. I feel like if you got one of those guys in then where you felt, oh, they have to adjust and stuff like that, they would have had a month to adjust by now. I honestly don't even think. And I don't know what you think about this one, for example, Bigler. I don't even think we would, this Kaiseido thing was in the plans until like three days ago when mm. Lavia Price got I don't agree with that. So I disagree. We've been, we've been with him since he was in South America. We made contact with both him and Brighton last summer. We talked again to them in January. A lot but of people think make this the was, offer earlier in the transfer market and get the guy. Because then you're we, in a bidding war with Chelsea early. Right. If you, we waited till Chelsea did battle anyway at the end. Why not get in there early? Right. So well, we were operating. We were out. operating under the assumption that Brighton was holding an auction with a mid with a deadline of midnight, and that we could come in and snipe that deal, and Brighton would hold their end of the deal up, and we would get the player. Now we know. Okay, in my opinion, we, because we got into it, didn't they? But, I mean, it's not like that deadline was there. Like, you know, obviously they were getting sick of it and the season is starting, but it felt like when we entered the battle in the bidding war, they were like, okay, well, there's a deadline for this. We're not going to keep going on and on for this. And we outbid on paper, but obviously it goes back to the, the money. I, I think supposedly – we there was a deadline set by Brighton to get the deal done before the Premier League season started with midnight on Friday night. Chelsea could not come up with the bid to meet their valuation. We sniffed that out and jumped in and said, we'll do 111. And the reason we did 111 is at that moment, financial fair play would only allow Chelsea to bid up to 110. We genuinely pipped them like with the, you know, the plus and a 40 million and a quid for Suarez type bullshit from Arsene Wenger. Like we tried to call Chelsea's bluff and we thought the player was going to agree. And once Brighton said, it's okay, it was brilliant. And for eight hours, we all went to bed glowing and we ran two podcasts on Thursday night to, you know, we had graphics with yeah, his jersey. Your guys jinxing it, by the way, but keep I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame us seeing that it was being reported as completed. He didn't want to move, and, and he changed his mind the next day. But I actually think we were in there the whole time. Hogan was quietly talking to Brighton, saying, hey, we're just going to sit here in the grass 
You just let us know as it gets close to the end. And if we still want in, we'll get in. And maybe if we could have gotten Lavia for 44 or 38 or our price, we would have walked away from Caicedo because we, let's be honest, we didn't want to spend 110 million. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that was in the original plan. Like if you were able to lock in Lavia at a price that we felt was good value, I don't think we're suddenly coming. I felt like Lavia price got so high that we're like, shit, if we're going to pay 60 for him, might as well pay 111 for this guy. But to your to Paul's point, though, I think we had to be in all along and talking to him where it wouldn't have gotten that fast to that point. And when we dropped that bid, we already had the negotiations. We had the terms. Do you realize we were offering them a 25% sell-on clause? Like, if we were to sell that player, we were going to give them another 25% off. So we're going to pay 110 and 25% of our value of the player. We clearly wanted the player, and that negotiation was going on for a period of time. Listen. We thought we were literally going to bait the person in Texas Hold'em with like a full house and make them bet with their flush. And we thought we were going to literally roll over like pocket threes and they were going to be like, ah, shit. Seriously, like we're, damn it. We thought we did it again, right? Because that's what we do. And we've talked about this before. Sometimes when you're the smartest person in the room, people call you out on it. They, they sometimes when you're the best poker player, people call your bluff purely because you've bluffed them a few times in the past. And I feel like in this case, Chelsea figured out a way to get their player, and then they turned around and 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 literally went in for Lavia trying to get us to drop our bid. And when we didn't, they were like, "Screw you, we're going to sign them anyways." And it's crazy because FFP thing, a huge joke. And I don't even know. I, I can't understand the math behind that where, because I heard about the 111 thing that you're referencing. So if that's the case, how did they pay this and that? If they could, I know that, I just don't understand that part, but that almost, if that's the case, because I still don't believe we were in this until Lavia price got out of whack, but that almost, if we were waiting for this all along, Bickler, I feel like it makes it look even worse because you had no plan B to fall back on because you're not in less than one of the cheaper options earlier, even if it's just a, as a plan B to sit there in your squad as a defensive mid. And now all the prices are elevated because you know freaking everybody in the world knows that we need a CDM. I just I think it just goes back to the market. I mean, I think we looked at the market, didn't love anything we, we saw. The two players that we liked, we, you know, the Labia th- – thing we liked at a certain price but didn't like at another which yep. i can't blame the club for and i think i honestly think i think the frustrating thing is i think we got played by both sides i think we yeah. got played by both chelsea and we got played by brighton and i'm actually most disappointed in brighton because i think it means something in the transfer business when you give another club your word on something and you actually hold a firm deadline on something and say this is what we're going to do and you don't do it like i expect that from another club who's like bidding for a player I don't expect that from a selling club, especially a club like Brighton, and that's pretty disappointing. But would you want – I mean, we were talking about this in the morning show. I mean, what is Brighton's option? Can they t- They can't really tell the guy, no, you're going here. We already set a deadline. And how will that look to other players? Sure they can. For Brighton now, well, this is what Brighton does. I won't have a say afterwards. I, I, I think for a club like Brighton that buys players on the cheap – and does it well and sells them for a profit. 
you have to be careful at how you're viewed as a selling club and how you stop players from going to the club they want to, or those young players, the next Isisco won't be coming to your club, right? The next uh, Sacramento won't be coming to your club. That being said, um, Brighton leaves with a little egg on their face. I think the issue here is Brighton and Deserby, more importantly, made it very clear to Brighton. He wanted no part of Caicedo as any part near his squad, which is why he's been injured with a hamstring injury all preseason and never even trained with the first team because Deserby, I mean, people forget how ruthless Deserby was to Trossard a week and a half after showing up. Right. And like Trossard was like, well, I want out in January. And he was like, all right, well, you can just go train with the reserves right now. We don't need you. Next thing you know, Matoma was the best left wing in the Premier League and literally took his job overnight. And I think Deserby is one of those guys. He is, you are with me or you are against me. And if you are against me, go. And I think Brighton didn't have anything to fall back on because Brighton had already made it clear. Caicedo was no part of their plans. And they weren't going to let that player toil in their reserves the way PSG threatened to do it to, to Mbappe because they were going to lose a lot of money. Every minute he didn't play, they lost money. And let's be honest. Brighton just got the all-time record signing in the history of the English Premier League. And we all know Brighton's going to turn that into 10 more players that they'll probably sell for close to half a billion dollars over the next five years because they're that good with their recruitment. So to them, $100 million, $150 they couldn't chance this not happening because he might go for 60 or 40 or whatever later on down the road if something happens or he ends up injured. I'm angry with their tactics, but I understand from a business standpoint because I don't, they're not Liverpool supporters. And honestly, it is shame on us because we couldn't convince the player to join our project even after willing to spend $111 million on him. And maybe that's down to the wages we were willing to pay him. I honestly think, I mean, that's part of the wages is probably a big part of the deal. But I think the dude was, I almost feel like we got used. Uh, by his agents and probably maybe with the knowledge of Caicedo to speed up the Chelsea process and make Chelsea commit was more than anything else. Yep. I, I and that's why I mean I know what you're saying, Bickler, in terms of you know like you know setting a deadline. I was more putting myself in Brighton's situation that you have other players in that squad looking at the situation and they're going to be like, wait, so you're going to stop me because they missed the deadline by an hour? You know, I mean, it just kind of like sets a bad precedent, but. Yeah, I feel like we got you. We didn't I miss it by an hour. They had being... four months to make the deal, and they missed it by like two multiple days. They basically they were not going to twist their own player's arm to Correct. go somewhere because they made the deal with the club. Which, like I say, I understand. I just feel like we got used by the agent ultimately cool. uh, to speed up the process. And I honestly don't even think like there was Liverpool interest at all. All along, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he, why wouldn't he be interested? So that we answer the thing to speed up Chelsea, and which it worked, right? I mean, Chelsea suddenly was like fucking in panic. Otherwise, they would have probably dragged it even more. But all that said and done, and the chaos ensues, where are we? What are we looking at next weekend? Uh, so early prediction, obviously, we're going to have the Thursday pod and everything. And throughout the week, we're going to have more shows to do more previews about it. But... As of now, what do you see for the lineup? Regardless of who we sign or who we don't sign, Bickler, uh, they're not going to be in the lineup. Uh, so what do you expect to see 
next Saturday. Is my horror story going to come true? I think it's going to be the exact same lineup you saw versus Chelsea. Yeah, me too. And that's a good thing or a bad thing? It's not a good thing. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, for that game specifically, not in the grand scheme of things, but for that game specifically. I, I mean, for that game specifically, I, I just think it's just more the same. You're playing your best players out of position, I think, is, and that seems to be what Jurgen Klopp does. Uh, when he doesn't have an answer. And I so think... Guys, uh, Jones not playing... I'm sorry, like, Bickler, didn't mean to cut you off, but do you think Jones you. not playing, Bickler, was due to this is the plan we had for Chelsea, we wanted to press, or he doesn't have the 90 minutes yet, or that experiment did not work as well as Klopp wanted to? I think Jurgen Klopp is enamored with Gakpo. And I think that he'll put Gakpo in the lineup regardless of where he has to play him. That's fair, but then you could put it where Jota was. Who I know because I think Jota was the best player in the preseason as a whole amongst the front five, as far as form and actual fitness went. And let's be honest, we need people to put the ball in the net, and Jota pops up in spots and puts the ball in the net. Now, I've always said he's also the player who comes off the bench and within two minutes can score a goal yeah. more than Darwin, more than Gakpo, in my opinion. So, like for me. I'd have Darwin and Jota on the bench, as painful as that is for the Jota lovers, because I think Gakpo brings the most through the middle. And I think you saw from Diaz what he offers. I also think Diaz lived off of one great run and a great finish on a really good ball through the middle. I don't think Diaz was all that great all match long. Like he did a little bit, he did, but he disappeared. He went quiet for a while. So, like, I could argue you could play Jota on the left and Gakpo through the middle if you need Jota on the pitch to score you a goal. I I well, personally I think... think like, he was one of the rare outlets moving forwards, especially when we were trying to clear and get some... Especially in the first half. But, he but disappeared in the second half. It, was, it felt like it was, like, 25 to 30 minutes of the first half. To be honest, from the time they leveled at 22 minutes, they dominated the match from that moment forward. And let's be clear, I think Mo was onside, and the second goal should have scored, should have counted. The guy, the third guy up looked like his shoulder was playing him on. The lines looked like it was his arm. I thought we were getting away from the millimeter lines, and if it was close, you were on. Um, but at the same time, Chilwell wasn't that far off being offside to taking the lead in the first half either. On the on the goal that they had chopped off. Both. I I was hoping the guy's foot on the top of the. That's what I thought. The third face, guy up. I don't. Th when you look at the grass, unless the dude didn't cut it straight, it looked like I. The moment I saw it, because you know we were holding off on the snacks, there was a lot of excitement waiting for the snacks, and I was like, "Hold on, VAR," and it didn't go through because I had a bad feeling that was not going to. Before we go, let's hit on two players real yeah. quick. Mo coming off as a sub. Um. Non-story, Bickler. I mean, you Mo never comes off happy out of a game. It's a story. It's a story because it's a bad substitution at that point in the game. That's why it's yeah, a story. It's a shocking one because I know in the pre-match, John mentioned Van Dijk making an appearance, and we were we shunned him, saying, "Dude, Mo's never coming out if we need to score a goal on this." Well, so here's the thing, though: is Mo's going to have to get used to that at his age right now. Like he's going to have to be protected from himself a little bit, but. When you're 1-1 in the season opener versus Chelsea at Stanford Bridge, that's not that moment. 
Yeah, I agree with yeah. Paul there 100%. And I, I, and I was the one who last week was the one person who took the over on the seven Premier League appearances, feeling good about it after yeah, no he gets sure. one in the 70th <laughs> minute of week one. No, I mean, because honestly, it shows that Jurgen Klopp falls for players, right? He didn't fall for Carvalho. He fell for Harvey Elliott a couple of years ago. He starts starting over the club captain for the first two out of the first three matches of the season. Like Jurgen Klopp will fall for a young player. Feels to me like he made a statement yesterday that this kid's going to play a big role this year. And maybe there is another contract in Moe's Liverpool career. And if it is, it's going to be because you understand that we need to reserve your legs a little bit in some of the minutes and, we know this season's going to have 27 minutes of extra time and you're going to play a lot more. And we got the European competitions. Listen, Mo's going to be pissed off on Thursdays in Ajak Bakshan when he isn't playing because he loves to play and he loves to score. And let's be honest, low Mo really loves to play against weak competition because Mo loves himself a four or five goal day. Um, so he'd have no problem. problem. I, have. I have a bad feeling. You know, we took more a lot. I think I agree with both of you guys in terms of the bad timing of the substitution or bad timing of, like, you know, giving Ben Doak his minutes because there's going to be a game in a month where we're up 3-0 and Mo is going to play the entire 90, 95, 100, yeah. and Ben Doak is not going to come in. Let, let's, let, let's jot that down right here. You guys know what's going to happen. The second guy I want to ask you guys about is Nunez. Because once again, I felt like he came in and he was playing a totally different game than everybody else. Until the pony, the, the man bun came loose. And once the ponytail came out, you saw with the, what he did there, with the shot he took and stuff, the physical ability and the capabilities he has. But is it just me, Bickler, that anytime I see this kid out there, despite all the potential in the world, I feel like he's playing a totally different game? Than everybody else. Oh, I mean, look, the dude's a footballing equivalent of a tropical storm, right? I mean, he Correct. comes in and he just creates like, beautiful, beautiful chaos in a way, right? But it, it does completely disrupt the system. It completely disrupts everything around him. Uh, I think what you're looking for, I think the pro that is that like weird shit happens when he comes in, right? Like balls bounce places they shouldn't bounce. Like, I mean, like turnovers and weird spots on the pitch, like. Uh, things like him intercepting the ball off keepers and, and, and just crazy shit in general. Um, but yeah, he's like, he's a tactical misfit and we still haven't figured that out. We still don't know where to play him. He still looks like a dude who wants to play on the left wing. Uh, it, it, it just him and Joda are both players that play better off central strikers. Um, so I, I think, I, I I I don't think that we have an answer for for what we're doing with him yet, and and you know like in a team with so many question marks, to spend sixty five million on on a youngster with that and have him be a question mark is a is a tough bill to swallow going into this year. I mean, Brian says you know he's still well, I don't know what the heck that was, but um, uh, he's so raw and some of the potential will get honed in by now, and that's like the problem. Um, <laughs> We should cover this, by the way. I mean, we probably should. We should We should really. I think we can solve a lot of things, including global warming and UV radiation during this pod. First of all, we can't even figure out we can't even figure out how to use Nunez. And this person wants us to handle UV radiation. Have they not listened? Yeah, glass objects containing uranium glow green when exposed. I mean, fun facts. Talking about, you know, I'm going to 
I hope you guys didn't read it because I'm gonna I might make that next week's trivia. Uh in terms of what make what glows in UV light. The answer is clearly <laughs> cocoon songs. Uh, yeah, if he saw the UV segments, he would know that you guys are nowhere near <laughs> this kind of trivia yet. So I mean back to Nunez real quick from this uranium thing. Um Brian says like he was raw, but I really expected, I know last summer was like a shorter period of time, but is this kid not going to be able to kind of learn and adjust? Because God knows our system doesn't adjust to players. The player has to adjust to the system, right? I mean, we've seen that with Carvalho and stuff like that. Does In terms of like the pressing and stuff, how lost he is in terms of the pressing, to me is mind-boggling and kind of like, you know, uh, is a bummer that he's not getting it. It feels like. Yeah, I, I I will not disagree with you there. The one thing I will say is is, um, he's not the first player to ever move to a club, and then the club realized tactically they have to make shifts around a player that they just spent a lot of money and invested resources into. Why is it that this club refuses or this manager refuses to ever alter his tactics for the shape and or talents in which he has at his disposal? Why is that always like, why is it so un, like worldly to understand? Because I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. No one will like it. If this dude went to Pep Guardiola's side, he'd be a better player by now after 14 months of being under Pep Guardiola. He would. My thing is why bother? I don't care if the manager is like, this is my system. If you don't fit in, get the hell out. I can understand that, and I'm totally okay with it. I just don't understand then why would you spend the money to bring a guy that... They spent the money because that it doesn't fit they, the system. They saw the talent and the mindset, but they're not actually making any effort to alter their tactics around the skill set. And ultimately, when you if you're putting a, a round peg into a square hole, right, and you keep doing it and the shit doesn't work, eventually you take ownership and you either change the format or you figure out a new way to fit that peg into the piece. Like, but if the kid doesn't understand, like if the kid cannot still understand how we press, that's where I find the. That's what. That's the part. Like, hey, is expected there. His expected. He played the least amount of minutes on the pitch yesterday. His expected goal involvement was actually higher. His closest chances, our two closest chances in the second half, were his shot that went just wide and his shot that went right over the top bar. So we all talk about how he doesn't fit in. But when he comes in, he puts the ball on frame, he makes keepers defend, and he makes defenders actually work. And I didn't see that much from Jota. Jota was kind of... I'm not Jota, well, after Robertson, that would be he actually... Was that, my point is, and I'm not trying to... And I'm not defending Nunez. What I'm saying is, is I do believe that Nunez is a player, and I don't know that he'll ever be a great player for Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. But I'm not going to just flat out say he's a bust. Because I think if that kid went to the right club in the Premier League, he'd already... Here's the thing. People don't realize this. Before he signed with Benfica, Brighton, the brilliant Brighton recruitment team, they had a deal for him signed for $19 million out of his small club before he went to Benfica. And it fell through because of like medicals and other things. I think if Brighton had found their way to find this player into their setup, they would have figured out how to utilize his talents and he'd be scoring goals in the Premier League because he is better. He has better skill sets than a ton of strikers in the Premier League. 
it's up to it's up to us now to decide whether or not we want to figure out how to make him work with Liverpool, or we want to just figure out if we can make him salvageable and sell him on to another club. And I, I genuinely hope we don't, because Paul made the comment earlier about, you know, at some point we'll and this may be a comment for another podcast, but there may be a time to talk about like what this club looks like with a new manager rather than keep talking about reconfiguring it to this for another two and a half seasons. Cause if we keep playing like this, we're going to keep finishing six to eighth in the table for the next two, three years through 2026. This thing needs a reset, the manager, the players, and we knew it was coming. The only thing that's changed are players. Tactics haven't changed. Formations haven't changed. It's really just the yeah, players. Like I said, that yeah, that's going to open up a whole half-hour conversation we don't have time that's, for now. Like I say, I understand a manager having their system to play and wanting players to fit that system. I'm totally okay with that. You're going to do minor tweaks, and that's why I feel like they probably looked at Nunez and said, he can do this, this, this. I mean, there's so much analytics that go into this. I just don't think we're seeing it now. Yes, he's effective. But I know when he starts, I mean, he might even get a start. I would not be shocked that if we saw a start against Bournemouth actually uh, this week when a play like when against playing against a team like that, I would not be shocked to see that over there. But before we go, let's get predictions for that game. Like I say, throughout the week, we'll have all kinds of shows to do more in depth uh, previews for like the Bournemouth game. But Bickler, let's start with you. Uh, give me your prediction for Bournemouth next week. Uh, I'll go two one Liverpool. Ah, okay. Early prediction from you, Galley. I'm gonna go three one, and it's purely because I can't trust this team not to give up a bad goal at some point during a match. But I also don't think this team can thump aside because they didn't show anything to me on Sunday that makes me think they can score four or five against anybody. See, I feel like I'll see your three and raise you four. Uh, I'll do four one because I really felt like if that game. If Mo's goal goes in, I think that ends up being a 4-2, 5-2 game or something like that against Chelsea. Once we open the floodgates and get that team to open up a little bit, Fair. I think you have the talent up top. And especially if you're playing like almost like Gakwa and stuff in midfield, I think you have so many attacking options to make something happen. I thought that was the breaking point for that game because if that goal counts, I think we run away with that game and that did not happen. But... We go again, as we say. So Saturday we'll go with that. I know you boys are recording the Premier League show, which should be should be on sometime tomorrow, right? Yeah, it'll probably come out either tomorrow or Wednesday at the latest, depending on when we release it. But it'll definitely go out this week. Uh, quick review of the week, quick review of some of our main topics, talking points, and uh, a little transfer roundup. Uh, Thank goodness this window is almost over in another 17 days or whatever it is. Uh, the good news is another two months or so, the other one will open. So don't you worry. Thanks. Can't <laughs> wait. God. <laughs> the January is right around the corner. People. Stick a freaking dagger in my eye. Why don't you? Uh, so, yeah, on Wednesday as well, we're going to have the new Premier League show uh, with the panel. And we're going to have guys from Fulham, Villa, and Arsenal. So that should be like an interesting one to get those guys takes on week one as well. Uh, kind of looking forward to that. That one will be a live one as well. That one is 8 central, 
9 Eastern on Wednesday night. And obviously, we have the Thursday night podcast with the fantasy duo right afterwards on Thursday. So let's hope we're talking all kinds of signings and deals and all that kind of stuff, or more like when Thiago and Basetic is going to be back playing. But either way, you guys have an awesome week, and we'll see you guys here next week on the Monday Night Podcast. Take care.